think at bottom, uh, a union is about power, that it is about, it is an expression of a group of people coming together to make change for themselves and their communities. And I believe our union and a union worked at SALT fundamentally understands that its job is to increase their, the, the power of workers and black workers in particular and lower wage workers and workers who actually aren't organized yet need to understand that it is through organizations like the union uh, that they're going to be able to build power uh, and going to be able to influence not just their own personal situation, but will also help build their communities and build organizations that can withstand challenge and, and, um, and the winds of, of change uh, so that whatever progress we might make uh, isn't fleeting, but, it, but really can be something that we can build onto over years and over generations. Hey folks, this is Stephen Pitts, host of Black Work Talk, an organizing upgrade podcast. Here we take a look at efforts around the country to build the collective power of black workers. I'm so glad to be rid of 2020. Over 300,000 deaths from COVID, record high levels of unemployment insurance claims. Between February and November, over 4 million people have officially left the labor force, meaning they are neither working nor looking for a job. There's been an immense emotional toll we've all paid as our normal daily rhythms have been radically disrupted by the virus. But at the same time, the experience of witnessing televised black death at the hands of police or self-appointed protections of the color line, an experience that is getting far too routine, was met by what can only be called a beautiful uprising. In response to the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and others, a quilt of decency was woven and unfurled as people from around the country said these tragedies must stop. We saw people of all races in the streets. You could drive through small-town America and see handmade signs declaring Black Lives Matter. When I think of these dueling themes, human suffering from COVID, human acts of solidarity against racism, I think about the Maya Angelou poem, Still I Rise. Often the poem is decided as an affirmation of individuals declaring they will overcome obstacles stacked before them. But today, I think of the collective us, overcoming barriers. We rise because we have each other. We rise because we come together to beat back the barriers built by a system of racial capitalism. We rise because we have what last week's guest, Tyne Walls Goldburn said, joyous militancy. So this show is about going through the fire of COVID. And here, COVID is just a metaphor for so much evil we saw in 2020. And coming through that fire stronger. We will talk with Greg Kelly, president of SEIU Healthcare Illinois. The union members actually work in Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, and Kansas. And they work in childcare, home care, nursing homes and hospitals. They have been on the front line battling the effects of the pandemic, and they have to address COVID-related issues at their homes. Throughout all of this, they built power to win fights on the job and fights in electoral fronts. This should be a good conversation. But I want to remind you that we need your support. Here at Black Work Talk, we are committed to developing a vibrant conversation, bringing you the key voices building Black worker power in the workplace and in the neighborhood. Bringing you the best guests and the most timely discussions takes resources. We depend upon people power to grow. 
So please go to Patreon and make a financial contribution, large or small, and become a part of our community to support the work we do here at Black Work Talk. So first, Greg, thanks for jumping on, man. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Happy, happy holidays to you as well. Yeah. I would say it's kind of funny, you know, because um, we first became Facebook friends and kind of just turned to Facebook. All of a sudden, I was in this conference. Um, was it Georgetown? All of a sudden, look up. Damn. Yep. That's Greg. Now I know you're that's a real a, person, aren't you, my brother? That's kind of cool. <laughs> that's exactly life kind right. of goes that way. So it's yep, funny it how, was how the bargaining for common good uh, conference at Georgetown. And I obviously, I, I knew who you were, though. Uh, yeah. in, in, as a confession. And so it was truly great to meet you there. Yeah. And so we've been talking ever since. And as um, yep. the audience knows, I'm from Chicago. So I bring my Chicago brother on anyway. So I'm good, good to be here, man. Okay. <laughs> Always meet with, good to meet with a Chicago brother. Because I told folk, though, you told me you're from Maywood initially. <laughs> and that don't, that well, doesn't count. That doesn't count. Well, count actually, though, okay? I was born in, in Chicago on the west side. And then we okay. moved to Maywood. Okay, well, you, you have to play captain, okay? But I mean, I, I'm, I'm really glad you're on the show, though, seriously. Now, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. Um, but first, I, I know you're president of SIU Healthcare mm -hmm. Illinois, but beyond the titles, like mm -hmm. what are some key moments growing up that shaped your core values? That's a great question. So I, I grew up uh, in a family of Baptist preachers. Uh, my grandfather and all of his brothers were pastors of churches and and even their dad uh, was a was a minister, and so I've always had uh, sort of this uh, uh, religious based uh, thinking about things. And my dad, as it turns out, after he came back from Vietnam, he actually was a jail guard. He came back and helped organize, as they called them back then, jail guards into the union. So they were the first union of jail guards. So I've always said there's this combination of my ministry, uh, of, of the impact of having grown up with preachers, and then my dad's uh, sort of union organizing that helped shape sort of my worldview uh, and my activism. And so I've always been involved and engaged as a student. Uh, I wrote editorials in my high school paper, uh, always engaged around uh, organizing, and even in college, um, our Black Student Union president, and and on and on, a lot of student student activism. So I have to say, uh, my goal in life was always to be engaged around making the world a better place. Um, never in a million years would I have thought that labor was the way to do it, um, and so kind of stumbled into it. Became was a member, and uh, and sort of over time, eventually became president of of our local union. That's kind of the next question, man. I may go a little bit deeper. I was saying, like, from Chicago, you could aspire to be Nick Harold Washington or Nick Jesse Jackson. <laughs> so what got you into the, the work of organizing piece, man? How, how, that, how did that flow? Yeah, I mean, you're right, Harold Washington. My grandparents, my dad, you go to the mantle and the, there's a picture of Harold Washington there. So you kind of get, it's almost in your, in your DNA. I mean, my hometown of Maywood, actually, in my high school is where Fred Hampton uh, lived and went to high school. Uh, we swam in the Fred Hampton pool, believe it or not. Mm, mm. Uh, and so it's it, it's sort of in our DNA to sort of engage around politics and and activism and and really wanting to like fight for stuff. It's kind of just the way uh, that we that I grew up. Um, and you know, again, 
the union work really was sort of an, an accident. I was supposed to be working at a job for a short period of time before law school. Uh, SEIU came in and tried to organize previously and were unsuccessful. Tried again when I got there. Uh, and, you know, you know, my feelings about unions were pretty complicated as a youngster back then. I, you know, the trade union movement uh, to me was historically racist and was actually ra racist at the time. So I was pretty skeptical. But folks I looked up to in that office said, these folks are a little bit different. Your insight and input could make them better. I got involved. We won that election, sat on my first bargaining committee. Uh, and sort of the rest is history, became a member organizer, and then they asked me to join staff. Uh, and I've literally had every role in the union for the past uh, 23 years or so now, uh, and became president just over three years ago now. Okay, okay. So um, so you're president of SAU Healthcare Illinois. I, mm -hmm. I know you're, you're in four different states. You're in Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, and, and Kansas. That's right. Are motion members in the Chicago metro area? Are you pretty widespread across those four states? We are uh, spread all over the four states. Um, the bulk of our members are in Illinois. The biggest chunk are in Illinois and, of course, are in metro Chicago. But it's important to keep in mind that we really are, even in Illinois, a statewide local. We have members in every legislative district in the state. Oh, wow. Uh, from the rural part to the suburban part to the city part. Um, and they work in home care, they work in child care, they work in nursing homes, and they work in hospitals. Um, they're mostly women, uh, and they're mostly black women uh, and other women of color. Um, uh, but yeah, we're, we're literally everywhere in Illinois. But in Missouri, we are primarily focused uh, in Kansas City and St. Louis, and then we have a hospital. Uh, in Kansas. And there are opportunities to grow there that we've been engaged in as well. Indiana, Northwest Indiana primarily, but then again, another statewide um, uh, representation in that state as well. That's a whole lot of territory, man. I can imagine that the people are they're very different. I and mean, somebody growing up in Chicago, for someone downstate Illinois, someone in, in St. Louis, Kansas City, Gary, it's yeah. all different kind of situations. That's I mean, amazing how kind of hold the whole thing together. What do you do to kind of bring some sort of unity amongst those disparate type people? It's a great question. I think, you know, the work that our members do really is the unifying thing. They, again, they are in, you know, uh, lower wage work that is obviously um, underappreciated. Um, and so, you know, we fight, you know, we sort of came together through fighting, uh, particularly our home care and child care. And I always have to remind folks, those workers, when they first started organizing, home care workers in particular, didn't have the legal right to form their union, uh, but they came together anyway. They literally seven women, black women in a basement of a church, home care workers who were sub-minimum wage workers uh, making a dollar an hour came together and said, we're gonna create this thing. Uh, and that's the foundation of our union. Um, and so the nature of their work, particularly in home care, uh, has, has forced them or historically forced them to engage with each other way, in a way that's very different. Um, so you have rural people in a place like Effingham, Illinois, who work as a home care aide, a rural place that have a lot in common with a worker on the south side of Chicago. Um, they're home care workers, they're underpaid, they're undervalued. Um, and so 
uh, forming that union have has really created this um, energy around folks from different backgrounds and experiences coming together uh, out of necessity. Um, but over time now, we've sort of created this identity for the type of work that they do um, that manages to transcend um, place and, and uh, race. But our members, through the work that we've done a lot, uh, understand, even our members in those rural places understand the ways in which race and racial justice um, play out and why it's important to continue to pursue racial justice. So it really is an experiment that, that for the most part, um, has been positive and, and sort of reaffirms uh, my belief uh, that a multiracial movement uh, is actually possible, particularly when you put black workers in the center. So I, I know a couple, maybe five years ago or so, SEU kind of took a big stance around racial justice and stuff and did more mm -hmm. activism around that. You began to mention how people could identify, though they weren't black exactly. Can you tell me some of the actual steps you took to try to bring the idea of centering black workers, the idea of racial justice being at the center, take it to mm -hmm. downstate Illinois, other parts mm -hmm. of your of your territory, then I might, may not have a lot of black folks there necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So Trayvon Martin, his murder, really sort of got the ball rolling, if you will. But it was uh, the murder of Mike Brown in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, that really sort of put it all on, on uh, overdrive. We have a lot of members in St. Louis. We have members that worked in nursing homes in Ferguson. Uh, and given where it's situated in terms of Illinois, you have, we have a lot of members in that Metro East, which is just across, literally across the river from uh, St. Louis, which is, you know, Ferguson. So our members like demanded that we get involved and that we fight on behalf of Mike Brown and, and against um, you know, brutality. And so we took a leap, young, led by a lot of our young members, uh, and said, we've got to do this, folks. And really, it just started with a conversation. And so we regularly meet with our members, we engage with our members. It's important to us that our members lead, engaging conversations with other members. And so it was, I think, a lot of training, a lot of uh, risk, um, a lot of... Um, challenge really around getting our members to think beyond just sort of their their uh, existence and understand that really it is going to be us coming together, fighting together, um, that's going to make things better for everyone, and that we can't win economic justice without winning racial justice. Uh, so we did a lot, of, a lot of work, a lot of training, a lot of meetings. Um, and I think the overwhelming majority of our members got it. And I also would add that in the midst of all of this, we faced uh, major challenges from our state in terms of funding of our programs. Uh, the union was under attack. There was a case called Harris versus Quinn, which sought really to take away our, our right to even represent home care workers. So all of these things really were going on at the same time. And so we were able to like talk to a worker in Effingham or Mount Vernon about how the attack on black workers impacts their union. We were able to talk to them about how their union being strong, all of us together really impacts them directly. And so I think all of those things together uh, helped us over the years to, to be able to be, you know, strongly for racial justice 
Um, and, you know, you get some pushback. There's no question about it. We've gotten some and we've lost some members from it. Um, but we continue to make the point uh, and we continue to educate our members and over, overwhelming majority of them stick with their union and, and seem to get it because they understand that really our union is, is, a, is a bigger force than just simply about wages and benefits and that the stronger our union is together, the more that they can benefit from it as well. So if you think, unfortunately, like some of the police murders are like flashpoints on kind of the high, the high stuff, were there some other arenas that you got involved in around racial justice beyond just uh, uh, trying to fight police murders? Any yes. One campaigns of the, or anything else? Absolutely. One of the big campaigns in 2016, it's hard to believe now, was the race for Cook County State's Attorney uh, in, in Chicago. We were very early supporters of Kim Fox. Uh, her entire campaign was around racial justice. Uh, and we were very early supporters. Our members went all in. Uh, and so obviously she won and we did it again this year, 2020. Our members understood the necessity for uh, change uh, in our criminal justice system and we're, went all out uh, for Kim Fox. Um, and we couldn't be prouder of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, when you were first talking about the union and where folk work in child care, home care, nursing homes, I thought of COVID right away. So yeah. kind of was overhanging all this year is goddamn COVID, man. So tell me about how COVID impacted your union, your members in, in so many different ways, man. Tell me wow, about it that, a little bit. That would, that would take some hours. But I will tell you, though, March was, it was a scary time. Uh, our members were, they were scared, they were angry, they were anxious. Uh, so we represent about 12,000 nursing home workers. Uh, about 9,000 of them are covered under one, what we call association contract. Uh, you know, they're nursing assistants, they're food service workers, they're housekeepers. And so in March, you know, they started to see firsthand that people were dying, uh, people were getting sick, their residents as well as their co-workers. And we just happened to be in the middle of uh, bargaining a new agreement for that larger group of, of workers. And so uh, the owners, a uh, very powerful industry, uh, especially in Illinois, politically and otherwise, just kind of like they weren't educating their workers around proper, they weren't providing PPE, they weren't educating them about how to protect themselves, they didn't want to give them decent wages. Uh, and so those thousands of workers very early in the pandemic decided that they wanted to go on strike. Um, they needed to send a message to those nursing home workers. And so literally two days before the strike day, we settled and created a, a, an industry standard um, for those workers. But it was that was just an unbelievable moment. They were we were on the verge of going on the largest nursing home strike in U.S. history, mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of a pandemic, and but it reflected really what we said was a longstanding underappreciation and exploitation of those workers. The majority again black workers, but also immigrant workers, underpaid, underprotected, uh, and disrespected. Uh, and so it was, it was, uh, we look back at that now, you know, we do a lot of now year in sort of assessment and to the way that, um, the scariness of the moment, yet the resolve of the workers, 
um, just it truly is remarkable, something I won't forget, probably one of the highlights of my 20 plus career in the labor movement, because they stood up for themselves. They had never done that before and said enough is enough. Um, we need and deserve PPE. We deserve time off if we get sick. We deserve to get paid uh, decently. Um, and so it was truly a remarkable moment. Um, but then, as you, as I mentioned, we represent folks in a whole bunch of different areas, hospitals and childcare, and they all had their own sort of moment of, of anxiety and, and, you know, you know, all of the employers were claiming them to be uh, heroes and so forth, but they weren't treating them that way. And so we had so many different campaigns going on at the same time in hospitals and nursing homes and childcare and home care. Uh, it was, you know, in retrospect, it, it, it was a life-changing experience for, I think, all of us, our members and, and those of us who work for the union. Uh, but I think it changed the way that the employers and people in the broader community looked at those workers. Um, and we, you know, we held up the longstanding discrimination and, and exploitation of those workers and the public uh, really supported us greatly in that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was, it's been, a, and I remind folks, well, that was just one example of, a, of at the, fairly at the beginning, at around April, um, the world had, you know, COVID is still here. Our members still continue to work in it. They still have their own fears. Uh, it's morphed a little bit now, right? There's the question around the vaccine. Should, you know, workers be required? Do workers want to take it, particularly Black workers, given the history of vaccination in this country? Our members are concerned about that. Um, and so COVID, uh, being president of a union, has, has uh, in this moment, has been, it's turned everything upside down. But I have to say, there, again, the resolve, the resilience, of workers uh, to come together has been remarkable. It helps that we've had technology, uh, you know, Zoom and and uh, teletown halls. We we were doing those every day, multiple times a day. Uh, we were the amount of communication that we had with our members was unprecedented, uh, and the amount of engagement uh, has been unprecedented. I mean, we're talking, you know, we count the numbers, right? How many members are involved year over year? And, I, and our participation like tripled the amount of engagement and participation that our members have had. And the technology has helped uh, make that more possible. You know, folks who may not be able to come to the union hall for a meeting, we'll jump on a, on a Zoom, right? Or we'll jump on a teletown hall uh, to see what's happening. So organizing is different uh, under COVID. Uh, but in some ways, uh, it's much more effective. Um, and so, yeah, so it's it's been it's been a ride, I have to tell you. That's really powerful, Greg. A lot of times, you know, we, we, we hear about some of the, the challenges that workers are facing because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And we don't hear a lot about all the organized um, work around that. Mm -hmm. You know, so that I, the fact that you talked about how at the very beginning, folks said, we need a better situation, we're going on strike. And what you say, you tell a story of people consistently fighting through COVID. That's really a yes. powerful story. And didn't you just have a strike? You just settled the contract just recently? We had we actually went on strike okay. uh, with another group of nursing home workers, uh, about 800 nursing home workers at 11 different facilities. We had a 12-day strike. 
uh, and for the same reasons that initial group was going to go on strike, except this time we were actually demanding that this group of employ that this employer bring those uh, employees up to the standard that we had fought for uh, back in April. So that strike was to maintain that standard that folks fought for early on. Uh, this employer thought that our members should accept less. Uh, and at the end of the day, we struck and we struck for 12 days and, uh, and our members won. And uh, so, yeah, and, and again, the same stuff, proper PP, enough PPE uh, and decent wages. And uh, yeah, so we, we prevailed in that one in the end. But 12 days of a strike during a pandemic, uh, you know, and in Chicago, the weather was changing, getting cold and rainy and snow and windy. Uh, and through Thanksgiving, uh, truly, again, a, a testament to the resiliency of, of uh, the resilience of our members and, and uh, their willingness to push through for what they, they thought they deserved. Did you find any new members stepping up? People might have been more in the background, but all of a sudden COVID is a contest for more stuff. Any stories about that, man? Absolutely. There are so many folks who, you know, may have been in the union for a number of years who, you know, weren't all that involved before, uh, but stepped up in the middle of this. Younger workers, and that, that's another important point I would make. In nursing homes, you have lots of younger workers uh, who were leading, uh, you know, leading their strike lines or, or testifying. One of the things we did, we did briefings with legislators. They were meeting with and, and talking to legislators. We had a member who testified before uh, a House committee. Um, and so, yeah, so lots of new people who weren't always involved definitely were engaged in, in, in this period of time. Uh, and again, I think the technology, the, you know, made it easier for folks to do so. Uh, and it really, we really saw the benefit of that uh, this, during this period. But you know, it's important to make the point that the struggle still continues. Oh, for sure, man. And also, it's a lot of different dimensions to it, you know, because simultaneously yeah. the COVID stuff, we had George Floyd and Brian yes. Taylor and our, and yes. our, Amanda Aubrey. And we had this incredible sort of you know, racial uprising that to yes. me blew my mind in many ways. How did that, how did your union react to that? Yeah. Yeah, both yeah. COVID on one hand, and uprising on the other hand. Tell me more about how that, that unfolded um, in your union, man. Yeah. It, well, you know, we've, for many years now have been engaged with a lot of our allies around, you know, the work, the racial justice work. Um, we have always been engaged with you know, our, our sister union, as we call them, is the, C the teachers, Chicago Teachers Union. And, and uh, we have a, an independent political organization uh, in which we engage with allies. You know, a lot of the young folks that are in support of abolition, um, and so we've been supportive of and engaged with those those groups for a long time. And so as, you know, especially with George Floyd's murder, the, the amount of, our goal was to, to be as supportive as possible. Um, our members were engaged. They were upfront and leading and, and outspoken. Um, and, you know, Chicago in particular, but it's true for much of our territory, Chicago, though, in particular, though, as I think we've seen in the media, really became ground zero for the uprising. And, you know, our members were involved and engaged, 
Um, they pushed along with a number of, uh, you know, organizations that have been doing the work for a long time and demanding change. And uh, I, it's, again, have to, it's hard to put into words the amount of energy, um, excitement, but real like fear and anxiety that sort of uh, permeated everything we were doing, uh, especially this past summer. Um, you know, one of the things we were always trying to be mindful of is, you know, the health and safety of our members. And so it was always a challenge to make sure that while we wanted our members out front on this stuff, and they were, uh, we wanted to make sure that they were uh, being healthy as well. So that created a whole nother set of challenges, making sure that people were protected as we were out in the streets um, and, and you know, again, making sure people were, were protected throughout. Um, but our members were, you know, f you know, in the forefront of all of it. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned before about the importance of having a multiracial organization. And mm -hmm. I have this little pet theory. It says that the, the best place to develop better racial relations is inside of a union mm -hmm. because you mm -hmm. both kind of fight the boss on a regular basis and you're different. But mm -hmm. because we fought together, I know you don't have no tail. I have to trust yeah, you. That's right. Let me, let, me, let me hear your story. And all of a sudden, there's some possibilities there. So I wonder, man, given the work you, you did prior to 2020 around racial justice, and some mm -hmm. people came on board, some people kind of dragged a little bit, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Did anybody have a kind of a light bulb moment turn on and also not get what you're talking about in 2020? Folk might have been kind of, you know, why are you talking about this race stuff? I don't get it. All of a sudden, oh, that's what you mean. Just wondering. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, this was a lot of that. You know, again, the limitations of, of communicating with folks, you know, via Zoom and so forth, uh, really, you know, is, is, you know, there are limitations to it. But one of the most exciting uh, things that happened during the strike um, that ended just a couple of weeks ago is that we had a nursing home down in a, you know, a, a rural part of the state. Those workers actually came to Chicago for a press event we had. Majority of the workers in Chicago area are black, uh, but a number of immigrant workers, very few white workers, but uh, quite a few of our worker our members down in Moments, Illinois, are they're white workers, and I'm sorry, in Steger, Illinois, but they came up to Chicago on a Saturday for a press event that we had. And to see the camaraderie was something that you, you, you couldn't have written it better. Uh, one of those workers came and spoke at the event, but she brought, you know, like three carloads of folks up and they marched through the federal plaza, black workers from the south side of Chicago and white workers, white workers from uh, Steger, Illinois. And it hit so hit them all so heavy and it's not you could just feel it there. But then, of course, after the uh, action, we had our daily check in teletown halls. And to hear them talk to each other about their experience, that experience was is something I won't forget. Uh, just mm -hmm. workers who don't know each other. The only thing they had in common was the work that they do and what they were trying to get. Uh, but they were just so excited to be in motion with each other. Uh, and I'll, I'll never forget that. That's a powerful story, man. That's a really powerful story. Um... But this is like December 17th, man. You made it through the year. <laughs> we made yeah. it through it, right? <laughs> What's your vision for next year, man? How, how would you define success for next year? 
you know, I think one of the things that we're, so austerity is knocking on the door here, certainly in Illinois. Um, and so we're gearing up for, we've got to protect the programs that our members and our communities rely on. So we're uh, preparing for that. But we're also cautiously optimistic uh, that a Biden-Harris uh, administration uh, will take away or hopefully will certainly not erect any more barriers uh, to organizing. Well, you know, one of the other exciting things that happened to us this year, we actually organized hundreds of hospital workers uh, who hadn't uh, been in a union at all. Uh, there's a hospital in the south suburbs of Chicago, Ingalls Hospital, which we had tried to organize just before I came on staff, and we lost that election. Here we are 20 years later, we actually organized those workers uh, into the union. We have to negotiate that contract uh, starting early next year. Uh, so hopefully with the Biden-Harris administration, we'll have you know, a labor board or at least uh, an administration that won't get in the way of, of uh, and will attack us less. Uh, and so we're excited about the possibility of continuing to organize new workers. Um, we're excited about the possibility of figuring out um, you know, how to engage workers in new and different ways, um, knowing that, particularly here in Illinois, that austerity uh, boogie monsters are knocking on the door already. Uh, we need to make sure that we have a budget uh, that's dedicated to working people and doesn't, isn't balanced on the backs of working people. And so, you know, 2021 is about protecting the gains we've made, but also it's about expanding as well, whether it's growing the union uh, in terms of organizing more workers in hospitals and in other industries, um, but also like building our political influence and our ability to get things done uh, for our members and communities, um, deepening our uh, partnerships and, and our coalitions uh, are, is also a big old part uh, of what we wanna do next year. Okay, one last question kind of last big, big question, I'll call it. Um, given all you said, how do you define black freedom? Wow. I think it, it for me, it black freedom is uh, the notion that um, we can do uh, and be whatever we choose, um, that uh, the barriers historic, uh, historical and uh, contemporary um, that those barriers are eradicated. Um, it means that we can uh, fully realize uh, our dreams and aspirations, whatever they might be. Um, and that in fact, uh, the pursuit of those things is freedom. Uh, and, and that, um, you know, we understand our power to realize those things that we want. Um, so those, that's how I would capture um, uh, black freedom, and that's I could cool. probably go on and on too. Yeah, I understand. That's cool, man. So then, then, um, how would a union, a multiracial union, help help us take towards black freedom? I think at bottom, uh, a union is about power. That it is about it is an expression of a group of people coming together to make change for themselves. Uh, and their communities. And I believe our union and a union worked at SALT fundamentally understands that its job is to increase um, their, the, the power of workers um, and 
black workers in particular um, and lower wage workers and workers who um, actually aren't organized yet um, need to understand that it is through organizations like the union uh, that they're going to be able to build power uh, and going to be able to influence not just their own personal situation, but will also help build their communities uh, and build organizations um, that can um, withstand uh, challenge and and um, and the winds of, of change uh, so that whatever progress we might make uh, isn't fleeting, but it, but really can be something that we can build onto uh, over years and over gen generations. That's that's good, man. This has been great. Um, when I can travel, I'm going to come to Chicago and we can hang out a little bit, man, see what's happening. And, I appreciate uh, I that. I really that. want to get out to the Bay too, man. Come on, man. We're still here. But before we <laughs> oh, shut to down, the yay, though, as they say. But, I, but before we shut down, though, man, um, I love music and books, man. So, what, what books you been reading, man? What you, what you been reading? Oh man, that's a great. So I've been re I've been stuck in this '60s Black Power era. Uh, so I've I, uh, I've been reading uh, Peniel Joseph. Um, uh, what is it? Waiting until the midnight hour fascinated by that book. Um, and it got me to looking into some Harold Cruz, uh, uh -oh. critically, of course. Um, so I've been reading some, some uh, Crisis of Negro Intellectual. Uh, and, you know, Cedric Robinson has, has been in my head a lot. Um, uh, Eddie Glaude, if you, if you came to my house, you would see books half open, like opened and turned over. It's like uh, that's been the, my one indulgence over over this period of, of quarantine. It's like I think of books and I'm buying them, but unfortunately, I don't I don't finish very many of them. So I'm hoping during this break I can finish uh, finally finish something. Uh, so I'm all over the place. How about music? Uh, man? Music, music drives you, man. I, I, I you know I love Kamasi Washington. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's my guy. I, mean, I I love all those uh, L.A. cats. You know, Flying Lotus. You know, Anderson Pac. Uh, you know, I, Mad Lib. Um, and uh, yeah, and of course, I'm from Chicago, so it's always some house music in there, uh, and, and lots lots and lots of jazz and and '80s soul music. Atlantic Star. You know, uh, I love that era of of black music. That sounds good. That's um, yeah, it's a whole nother kind of show, man. That was about music. Real quickly, <laughs> my my, uh, my current fave on the jazz thing is Robert Glasper, man. I love yeah, Robert Glasper. Yeah, and um, yeah. Let's I spent a long time in Houston, man. There's a whole kind of trend of Houston jazz cats out there with Glasper, mm. Jason Moran, a whole lot of folk who come yeah. through the um the Houston version of fame, basically turned yeah. a lot of folk out. So um, we love Jason Moran here. He he worked with my kids' high school band. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, he did. Jason Moran's. And did you see his, um, uh, he did a thing, was it W.C. Handy? Uh, oh, man, here, in, yeah, he did a little, I guess maybe it was here in Chicago that he did it. Uh, incredible uh, musician and, and uh, composer. It sounds great, man. So, um, man, thanks for jumping on Black Work Talk. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, honored to be here and good to talk with you. Yeah, and be well. I love talking with Greg and hearing the rich stories of how members fought to maintain their quality of life on the job during COVID, including striking under what many people would have asserted were unfavorable conditions, striking and winning. It reminded me of the old song 
there's power in a union. Yes, I opened this show by referencing Maya Angelou, and I close out by referencing Joe Hill. There's power in a union. There's power in any organization. There's power in a smart collective action. And it is with this power we can move mountains. So once again, thanks for joining me this week. We need your help as you build the Black Work Talk community. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast and go to Patreon to become a sustainer. Until the next episode, stay safe and be well.